Life is about attaining different goals, including financial ones. Whether it's saving for your first home, first car, your family, or retirement, you need to know how to get there. Welcome to All About Goals with host Tom White. Join Tom and his guest experts who will help you get there faster and the right way. Now, here is Tom White. Hello. Welcome to the All About Goals radio show. I'm your host, Tom White. Today's episode is all about debts. Last week, we talked about retirement, and today we'll talk about debts, share different strategies about how to tackle and attack different types of debts. I believe everybody can relate to it. Everybody's had debts of one uh, time or another and of different sorts. And so, it's very much something that's applicable for everybody. And I think, uh, you know, the information I'll provide today will, will be very helpful, uh, saving you money, saving you stress, uh, and providing you the opportunity to move into really what's important in life, the other goals in life. Uh, since debt, in my point of view, is, is merely an obstacle towards what we want to accomplish. But this being all about goals, we'll, we'll consider debt a goal as well uh, today. So let me share some statistics. You know, the average credit card balance uh, per generation, and this is uh, a study conducted by Experian, one of the uh, credit monitoring companies back in November of last year, uh, shows that you know, Gen Z, the youngest uh, uh, generation right now, is carrying on average about $2,200 in credit card debt. Millennials have about $4,600 on average. Gen Z is about $7,700. And baby boomers uh, stand at about 6,700. Now, what's interesting is that uh, naturally, uh, to be expected, Gen Z would have the the lowest uh, balance to carry, uh, but but Gen X is actually uh, has a higher balance than than the boomers. Uh, and you know, as we'll look at the other types of of debts that's on average being carried by each generation, we, we will see a trend that uh, it. it peaks or tops with the Gen Xers and, and the boomers, uh, knowing that they're getting closer to retirement, if not already at retirement, you know, have addressed that or at least, you know, is something that uh, uh, they've gotten past a lot of the accumulation uh, phase of their financial life where they're buying stuff, uh, whereas Gen X is very much into in, in that uh, phase and millennials as well starting to. Now, the average non-mortgage debt uh, other than credit cards, uh, this would be car loans, student loans, and so on. Gen Z, on average, uh, has a balance of about 11,000. Millennials, about 27,000. And we'll see that a lot of that is student loans. Gen X, on average, is about 33,000. And the baby boomers at 26,000. So once again, uh, you know, it goes up from the Gen Z to the Gen X, uh, peaks with them, and then you know, tapers down uh, uh, with the boomers. So, especially with the last uh, year or so, uh, with regards to the pandemic and the, the economic uh, instability, uh, um, a lot of people have had to use debt to, you know, to get by. And it's important to know that there are different types of debt. Not all, the debt, it, not all debts are the same. And it's important to know what those are, to be able to have the best strategy on attacking it. So the first thing I'll say is that there are typically two types of debts, revolving and installment. And 
we need to know what each are so that you know how to treat them. Revolving is, is kind of like your credit card. It's a, it's a loan that doesn't necessarily have a specific time frame that you have to pay it off. And that's why you know, it just revolves. It continues on. If you don't pay a certain amount or percentage of the loan, especially based on the interest rate, uh, in this case for a credit card, then that balance will continue on uh, pretty much uh, uh, forever. And so it's important to know that that type of loan has to be attacked and addressed specifically versus the second type, which is an installment loan. An installment loan is typically what your car payment is, uh, what, what your mortgage is, where there is a specific term, a set number of years that you have that loan in which you have to have it paid off by then. But typically, because if it's an installment loan, and also if the interest rate is fixed for that period of time, the payments will automatically be designed in which it'll be paid off within that time frame. And so, you know, no matter what, so long as you make that payment, that it'll be paid off. Whereas with a revolving loan, it's not necessarily the case. And so, I'll share strategies on how to attack each one. And I've also got a, a kind of a, a specific rule uh, in addressing revolving loans that'll ensure that it gets paid off within a certain number of years. To, to an extent, converting that revolving loan into an installment loan, because there's a lot of uncertainty around revolving loans. Whereas the installment, there is certainty there. As long as you make the payments, that it was designed for, it'll be paid off within that period of time. The other type of debt, but it's also kind of a, a, a subcategory to the revolving and installment are deductible and non-deductible debts. And it's important to know what type of loans fall under deductible and non-deductible. But first, you know, let's, let's cover what, what that means, deductible. And if you were listening to uh, the show last week talking about retirement, where I talked about if you're contributing to an IRA, uh, in some instances, the contributions there are deductible, meaning to say that what, what, uh, whatever you put in, a percentage of that can be offset in your taxes. Here, it's more having to do with the interest rate. So, a deductible loan in general are your mortgage as well as student loans in general. If you own a business and you know, it's, uh, it's backed by you personally, in, in most cases, the interest rates uh, uh, or the interest uh, on those loans are deductible as well. And so let's take mortgage, for example. You know, if, if you have a 4% interest uh, rate on your mortgage and just taking simple math, um, uh, you're you know in the 25% uh, percent tax bracket, then you're effectively only paying 3% uh, you know, at the end of the day and versus you know, the full 4%. Whereas a credit card is non-deductible. And once again, a lot of caveats to this unless it's tied in with the business and so on. So if you're being charged 4% on a credit card and it's non-deductible, then your actual cost is 
So it's important to know what types of loans are deductible. Obviously, if you can not only take out uh, a loan that is deductible or, you know, uh, um, utilize that type of loan more, it, it is to your benefit. With regards to the revolving or installment, once again, for the most part, installment is uh, to your benefit from the standpoint of paying it off. Now, the difference with regards to the pros and cons on the revolving and installment, going back to that is, with a revolving loan, like a credit card or a line of credit to some degree, uh, those are flexible in terms of how much you're able to use in terms of you know, what, what that uh, credit uh, amount or limit is. Uh, whereas for an installment, typically, when you take out that loan, you, that amount that you're borrowing is fixed from the beginning. That's why you know, the, the institutions lending to you know, can design what the term is and interest rate and payment is so that you know exactly how much you need to pay for how long. So there are you know, plus and minuses uh, to each type. But from the standpoint of looking at how do you attack these debts and pay it off, it's important to know the difference between revolving and installment. And we'll talk about the priorities of paying off each one. So when it comes to payoff strategies, there are typically two types. And you know, these are just names that people have pretty much assigned to them. What's more important is, is the concept behind them uh, and the, you know, the benefits and disadvantages to each one. So when we're talking about having multiple debts, one type is what people call avalanche uh, is, is the name assigned to it. And, and it's the concept where you focus on attacking and paying off the debt with the highest interest rate. And in general, that's regardless of the, 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 the balance of that loan. And uh, the rationale uh, behind it typically that uh, uh, is, is used for this type of strategy is that you, know, you, want, you want to minimize or you want to save as much interest that you're paying. Uh, and so, you know, obviously the, the one with the highest interest is, is the one costing you the most, so you want to attack that. Uh, the second type is, is called a, a snowball strategy, focusing not so much on the highest uh, interest rate, but more on the balance, the, the account, the loan with the lowest balance, regardless of the interest rate. And this is, this is the, the strategy that I favor more. Um, at the end of the day, if you were to run kind of amortization schedules, you know, spreadsheet, uh, uh, looking, looking at what you're paying and the interest uh, being charged each month, whether you start with the highest interest rate or the lowest balance, and so long as every time you pay off one account, you then roll that payment into the next one, if it's the, the next highest interest rate for Avalanche or the, the, the next uh, lowest balance for the snowball, you're actually going to come out uh, um, pretty much paying off all your debts at the same time, plus minus a month or two. So there's really not a lot of, of difference with regards to the time value, how long it takes you to pay off all your debts. But there are specific advantages to the snowball. By focusing on 
the smallest balance first. You know, say you've got you know an, uh, a loan that ha- the snow the the lowest balance is five hundred dollars, and then the next one is a thousand. If you're paying $100 a month, for the most part, you'll know that that account's going to get paid off in six months. And so the, ben- the first benefit to the snowball is you get a quick win. And when you're dealing with multiple accounts, you know, trying to manage all of that on top of other bills and other things you're saving, you know, having a win is very important to be able to show progress, to be able to you know, know that, that, you know, that, that uh, you've succeeded. Uh, Obviously, uh, uh, the war isn't won, but you've won th- that first battle. Whereas on the avalanche side, you know, if your highest interest rate uh, account happens to be, say, with a balance of five thousand, it's going to take a while to get that one paid off, and so you're not going to feel a sense of satisfaction or accomplishment for a while. So having that quick win is important. The second type of benefit to the snowball is that once you pay off that first account. That's one less bill you have to worry about. It simplifies your finances. And so not only will you feel good, but you'll actually see it in having to make that one less payment. Um, And, you know, as time goes by, your finance just becomes much uh, uh, more simplified. Whereas with the avalanche, you know, having maybe, you know, same uh, example of a $5,000 loan balance and paying a hundred a month. I mean, that's, that's a while. Uh, and so, you know, you're not going to see a whole lot of progress uh, uh, in the short term, if not even the, in the medium term. And the last and third benefit to the snowball and attacking the lowest balance first is flexibility. Because once you've paid off one loan, so the key here, and you know, I, I may have skipped a little bit on, on the actual concept of these strategies, is that let's say you've got you know, three loans and you're paying $100 to the smallest one, $200 until, uh, uh, to, the, to the second one, um, and $300 to the third one for a total of $600. Once you pay off that first loan, the snowball uh, uh, strategy here. Now you have $100 freed up. And the concept is that you take that $100 and you apply it to the second lowest balance where you're paying $200 a month and now you're paying $300. And then once you've paid off that second one, $300 will be freed up. And now you're going to pay $600 into the third smallest and so the flexibility comes in in that once you paid off that first loan where you're paying $100 a month and you're now paying it into the second one that was originally 200 now you're paying an extra 100 for 300 because you've added that extra 100 if ever something comes up where you need a $100 a particular month you have that flexibility of using that $100 for something else that may become more urgent at that point in time. And that's one, one of the key benefits. And obviously that flexibility only gets greater as you go you know, down the line into each account because by the time you've paid off the second account, you've got $300 that 
of flexible money. Now, obviously, the commitment here is to continue to apply to these loans. That's how you're actually going to make progress and uh, uh, be able to achieve your goal of paying these debts off. So, it's, you know, don't consider it discretionary money by no means. It's more the fact that you have options. Whereas with the avalanche, taking that same example of, uh, you know, a $5,000 balance with the highest interest rate, until you pay that first one off, that first account, there, you have no flexibility whatsoever. You are uh, held to, you know, to, to that cash flow uh, for that period of time. And so this is why you know, I favor the snowball um, strategy because, you know, like I mentioned, three specific benefits, the quick win, uh, seeing progress right away. The fact that you've paid off an account means that your finances have been simplified by one less account. And the third, which I think trumps all of them, is the fact that you have flexibility uh, because now you've got more money, more cash that you can do with. You have choices. And naturally, you have to continue that program, that strategy for it to really uh, uh, work all the way through until that last account. So we're, uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we're going to talk about what I call the rule of 3%. We'll talk about how to you know, analyze uh, uh, whether you should refinance your mortgage. Uh, and also, ultimately, we'll talk about what other people uh, regard as debt arbitrage. Thank you for listening to All About Goals. I'm your host, Tom White. We'll be right back. This is Matt and Rachel. They're a millennial couple with good careers and have goals in life. In particular, a home, a family, fun vacation time, and of course, retiring in style. Well, to achieve those goals, they need a good financial plan, but that's easier said than done. Matt and Rachel don't know where to start, how much they need to save, or how to apply their money to fund the right goals. They don't know which financial products or accounts to use, and they can't afford a professional financial planner to guide them. It's a frustrating situation. But then Matt and Rachel found the solution, the robo-planner from iQuantify. iQuantify is a company that has nearly 50 years of combined experience in financial planning and investment advice, education, and wealth management expertise. iQuantify's digital technology team created the robo-planner, an award-winning financial planning software product that anyone can use. Here's how it works. First, Matt and Rachel created their goals. Automatically, the app calculated how much they would need to reach their goals and how to accelerate their debt payments. The Action List feature provided them a step-by-step plan on how to accomplish it. Using the Money Source feature, the app guided them on how to allocate resources toward each one. Then using the Timeline, they could even see different scenarios that worked and make their own adjustments for the plan they liked the best. They also used the Cash Finder tool, which helped them identify areas in their budget where they could save money, so they accomplished their goals even faster. And they received recommendations on which financial products and investments were best for them to achieve all their goals. With their own personalized robo-planner, Matt and Rachel are well on their way to seeing their dreams come true. Do you have financial goals but don't know how to reach them? Go to www.myroboplanner.com and start achieving your financial goals today. Introducing Schwab Stock Slices. 
For as little as $5, now anyone can own companies in the S&P 500, even if their shares cost more. At $5 a slice, you could own 10 companies for $50 instead of paying thousands. All commission-free online. Schwab Stock Slices, an easy way to start investing or to give the gift of stock ownership. Schwab, own your tomorrow. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to All About Goals with Tom White. We'd love to hear from you and help you reach your goal. Call into the program today at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to success at allaboutgoals.live. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to All About Goals. I want to thank you for listening to, to our show. I'm your host, Tom White. If you'd like to follow us, our Twitter handle is at allaboutgoals1. That's at allaboutgoals and the number one. If you're just joining us, this episode is all about debts. So far, we've covered what the different uh, types of debts are, uh, to know how to treat each one since not all debts are the same, we also, which are the two types meaning revolving or installment. Uh, credit cards tend to be uh, uh, revolving loans and, and car loans and mortgages are installment where they have a specific term or period that you got to pay it off by. But also kind of uh, subcategories to those are deductible and non-deductible debts. So, you know, certain types of debts uh, like a mortgage or a student loan, you can deduct the interest that you pay from your taxes. Uh, so at the end of the day, it costs you less versus non-deductible debts like a credit card where whatever the interest rate is you're paying is, is your actual cost. So it's important to know what those types are. And so in our uh, second segment here, we'll, we'll talk about a specific rule that I use uh, with regards to uh, credit cards in particular, knowing that revolving uh, debts like a credit card do not have a specific time frame uh, that it will be paid off from unless you know how much you, you pay and especially based on the interest rate. Uh, but before the break as well, we talked about specific strategies uh, in how you attack and pay off uh, multiple debts. And we talked about Avalanche, which focuses on, that strategy focuses on attacking the, the debt with the highest interest rate. And the second type, which I'm more uh, in favor of is what people refer to as snowball uh, strategy, where you attack and focus on the debt with the lowest balance, regardless of the interest rate, so that you get quick wins, uh, seeing uh, uh, specific loans being paid off sooner, and so feeling that sense of accomplishment and progress sooner. And it also simplifies your finances because you have one less uh, account or debt to, to you know, worry about and, and manage. And then the last, and I think uh, the, the real key here is flexibility because with these strategies to pay off, you know, you've got to be disciplined. You've got to work the strategy where once you pay off a debt, whatever amount you're paying on that, you've got to apply that to the next debt that you're tackling. And so with the snowball, 
you have the flexibility that once you pay off a debt, an account, then that money that you're paying to the one that's been paid off, you have the choice if, if needed to apply to something else for you know that particular month uh, because something urgent and important came up. Uh, whereas with the avalanche, if it takes you over a year or so to pay something off, you don't have flexibility uh, in the short term. So let's, let's continue with the next uh, segment here, talking about the, what I call the 3% rule. And this ties into credit cards. So like I mentioned earlier, if you simply pay the minimum credit cards, there, you know, there's really no end in sight uh, as to when that will be paid off. Uh, typically, uh, credit card companies put a minimum payment of 1% to 2% uh, uh, of the balance. And depending on the interest rate, especially if it's in double digits, there's really no end as to when that's going to get paid off. And so this is where the 3% rule comes in. You take the balance and let's just say, you know, you have a, a for round numbers, a, a balance of, you know, $10,000 on a credit card and 3% of that is $300. And so if you pay 3% each month, for the most part, that credit card, that revolving loan will be paid off in less than five years. Now, you know, five years is not a short time. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's pretty long to, 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 to hold that credit card balance, but at least it's a finite number of months, 60 months at the most. And what you've effectively done is turn that revolving loan into an installment loan, uh, essentially a 60-month or five-year loan. So you know it'll be paid off, just as we're talking about with installment loans. One of the benefits is you know when it's going to get paid off, so long as you make that payment. And so the 3% rule helps you put a time frame on that you know, credit card. There is a caveat to this. The 3% rule only works for interest rates up to, I believe, around 26%. And you know, uh, obviously, uh, uh, we're, we're hoping that the interest rate is nowhere near that. But just for disclosure and you know, understanding the concept, if the interest rate on a card is more than 26%, now then you've got you've to make it the 4% rule. And uh, so you tack on another percent. So instead of paying 300 uh, on a $10,000 balance, you pay 400. Uh, and that 4% rule, I think, you know, hopefully we're not talking uh, beyond 30% or so, but that, you know, that's, that's a clear uh, kind of demarcation point there of uh, between three and four is around 26%. So it's important to be able to you know, make it more uh, predictable uh, when it comes to the credit card uh, on when it'll get paid off. Now, you know, this, uh, this rule of 3% is, is more or less separate from the, the snowball strategy uh, in a sense that if, you're, if you have a credit card, especially if it's, if it's uh, a an account that you're going to get to paying, say it's second or third, third in line is, you know, the, the second or third lowest balance. And based on how, how much you're paying, uh, you're going to eventually start paying uh, more into that, uh, you know, in a year or so. 
then it's okay to pay the minimum because the assumption with the, the snowball and avalanche is that for the accounts that you're not attacking, you're paying the minimum on the others just to be able to keep them current. And, you know, they're, they're, they're in line to, you know, to, to, to be, uh, um, you know, the next focus once you pay off the, the account before that and, and, you know, in the order of accounts. Um, and so with the credit card, you know, you don't necessarily need to pay the, uh, 3% if you know that you're going to be uh, up, uh, attacking that debt, you know, soon. If on the other hand, you know, it's towards the end, that's, that's going to be a call you'll have to make. But the idea to the 3% rule is by itself, just if you only had this one debt, you know, uh, that's one way to convert that revolving loan into an installment and having, a, you know, at most a five-year time frame to paying it off. So hopefully, hopefully that's helpful kind of just as a concept. Um, so the second thing I wanted to talk about uh, is student loan refinancing. So for a lot of, you know, Gen Z and millennials, uh, student loans is, you know, is really the kind of the, you know, the, the weight uh, that's holding them back uh, from, you know, from, from really uh, uh, making progress financially, coming right out of college, uh, knowing how much college education costs these days. And so there are a lot of programs, a lot of companies, you know, that, that offer different types of refinancing of student loans. Now, you know, I'm not necessarily a big fan of refinancing just for the purpose of refinancing. Uh, it's got to be taken into the context uh, related to your other goals. But if done properly and in the proper context, yes, it's very helpful. But uh, you need to understand that these programs you can take advantage of them or they can take advantage of you. It's all about how you use it. And, and if you don't use it right, you would have been better off not even you know, uh, participating in it. So when you're looking at different types of refinancing of student loans, there are a couple things to, to pay attention to. One, obviously, I mean, the, the common assumption with refinancing is, oh, you know, you're getting a, a, a lower interest rate. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the gimme. But if you're going to refinance, you have to do it for at least the same term or shorter. As an example, you know, with a student loan, you know, some of them you know, are a 10-year loan, 15 or, or, or 20-year. So taking the 20-year loan, if you're five years into it, which means if you kept this loan and didn't refinance, you have 15 years left. If you're looking to refinance, you have to refinance at most with a 15-year but hopefully, you know, maybe less, whether a 12 or 10 year, depending on what's offered. Do not go back to a 20 year. Uh, uh, even with a, with a uh, lower interest rate, it defeats the purpose. And so if, if you can keep the same term that you're at or less, and it's a, it's a, um, a lower interest rate, now you're really coming out ahead. But there's a third component here. You got to keep the same payment that you were paying prior to refinancing. So the the typical uh, mistake or folly that people fall into is the fact that you know, say you're paying three hundred dollars uh, a month into the student loan that you have, 
And because you refinance and it's a lower interest rate, the payment required will also be lower. So if, for example, you're paying 300 and after you refinance, the minimum payment or you know what, what they're telling you to pay is 250 because of the savings and interest rate, still pay the same 300. That extra $50 is what's going to eat into the principal and really, you know, pay it down sooner, faster. And that's where you get the interest rate savings over time, not just in the actual rate in itself. So, you know, you got to look at having the same term or shorter. Obviously, I think the gimme is that it's, it's a, a lower interest rate. And then the third is you got to keep the same payment. If you don't do those three things, knowing that to some degree, there's a cost for this refinancing. So, you know, it's going to take some time to recoup that cost. That's where, you know, it would not be beneficial if you didn't do do those three things. If you do, then yes, you are taking advantage of it as opposed to being taken advantage of. Now, this applies as well to, to mortgage refinancing. Because interest rates over the last several years have been really low, I would argue, you know, uh, uh, most everybody has refinanced, you know, once or twice already. uh, And there may not be a lot of people out there looking to refinance uh, unless it's something that had to do where they now qualify for, you know, for better rates and so on. Um, But for the most part, prevailing rates have have stayed low, but but it's not going to stay low forever. And so, when the time comes in which you're considering refinancing your mortgage, you got to do the cost-benefit analysis. And that typically means that you look at what the cost to refinance is. You know, that's very clear because you, you get an estimate. You know how much it's going to cost from the standpoint of closing costs and things like that. And so taking an example, say it costs, you know, just throwing out a number, say $4,000 to refinance, you then have to look at, and once again, let's go with the assumption that you know, you're refinancing to, to get a, a lower interest rate so that over the period of time, you're going to save uh, uh, interest. And so you have to look at refinancing with the same term or shorter. So if you had a 30-year loan and you're 10 years into it, you know, if you're looking to refinance, look to refinance to at least you know, a 20-year loan or shorter, even 15, because there may be some, you know, uh, savings and interest uh, rates there. But certainly, don't go backwards into a 25 or 30. That that definitely will set you back. And so, if you're able to refinance the same term or, or shorter, and now because uh, you're going to save an interest, you take a look at what the cost is to refinance. So, if the cost is four thousand dollars, and over the course of you know, the same term loan of 20 years, you're going to save, you know, $8,000, then you're going to, you're going to come out ahead 4,000 and looking at what your monthly payment is, you're going to know how many number of months it's going to take to recoup that cost. And that's the other thing is that, you know, when you refinance the mortgage, this is where, you know, ideally, you would pay the same amount. Now, because when it comes to mortgage, that's one of the potentially last things you pay off if you have other debts, particularly debts that are non-deductible because a mortgage it, uh, is, 
So the other ones are actually costing you more. You would attack those first. It may be okay to pay the new payment uh, um, it, with a mortgage that presumably is less because of the savings and interest and apply the difference of what you're paying to your old mortgage with the other debts. That's what you use then for the snowball. The other, uh, the other thing about mortgages is if you haven't already, and at this point I would argue all companies, all mortgage companies that do this, is set it up for, what, for a bi-weekly payment, meaning every other week versus once a month. What this does is over the course of a year, it'll essentially uh, equate to you making one extra payment each year at least. And so over the course of 20 plus years, you know, that's 20 extra payments and that accelerates the payoff of that mortgage as well as the interest savings. You know, that, that's an easy way uh, without having to figure out, you know, whether you should refinance or, or what, but when you get, when you set up that mortgage, set it up for biweekly payments. Uh, we're going to take a, a quick break. When we come back, uh, we'll talk about what people refer to as debt arbitrage. Uh, with the fact that uh, interest rates have been so low and the fact that the stock market, you know, especially uh, this year in 2021 and also from August on last year uh, has rebounded uh, prior to the down period when the pandemic started, you know, we've had an up market. It's, it's tempting for people to you know, take out a loan and then use the proceeds to invest. And I'll talk a little bit about that uh, when we come back from the break. You're listening to All About Goals. I'm your host, Tom White. We'll be right back. Introducing Schwab Stock Slices. For as little as $5, now anyone can own companies in the S&P 500, even if their shares cost more. At $5 a slice, you could own 10 companies for $50 instead of paying thousands. All commission-free online. Schwab Stock Slices, an easy way to start investing or to give the gift of stock ownership. Schwab, own your tomorrow. This is Matt and Rachel. They're a millennial couple with good careers and have goals in life. In particular, a home, a family, fun vacation time. And of course, retiring in style. Well, to achieve those goals, they need a good financial plan. But that's easier said than done. Matt and Rachel don't know where to start, how much they need to save, or how to apply their money to fund the right goals. They don't know which financial products or accounts to use, and they can't afford a professional financial planner to guide them. It's a frustrating situation. But then Matt and Rachel found the solution, the robo-planner from iQuantify iQuantify is a company that has nearly 50 years of combined experience in financial planning and investment advice, education, and wealth management expertise. iQuantify's digital technology team created the RoboPlanner, an award-winning financial planning software product that anyone can use. Here's how it works. First, Matt and Rachel created their goals. Automatically, the app calculated how much they would need to reach their goals and how to accelerate their debt payments. The Action List feature provided them a step-by-step -step plan on how to accomplish it. Using the Money Source feature, the app guided them on how to allocate resources toward each one. 
Then using the timeline, they could even see different scenarios that worked and make their own adjustments for the plan they liked the best. They also used the Cash Finder tool, which helped them identify areas in their budget where they could save money, so they accomplished their goals even faster. And they received recommendations on which financial products and investments were best for them to achieve all their goals. With their own personalized robo-planner, Matt and Rachel are well on their way to seeing their dreams come true. Do you have financial goals but don't know how to reach them? Go to www.myroboplanner.com and start achieving your financial goals today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to All About Goals with Tom White. We'd love to hear from you and help you reach your goal. Call into the program today at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to success at allaboutgoals.live. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to All About Goals. I want to thank you for listening. I'm your host, Tom White. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, our handle is at allaboutgoals1. That's at allaboutgoals and the number one. If you're just joining us, this episode is all about debts. We've been talking about different types of debts, talking about different strategies to, to attack the debts, uh, and also talking about you know, how you go about refinancing, uh, whether it's a student loan or a mortgage, you know, whether it's beneficial, how to know whether it is going to be beneficial and what your, your cost-benefit analysis is. And so in, in our last segment here, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, for those that are preparing for retirement, if you still have a mortgage, as well as anticipating having a mortgage going into retirement, you know, how do you manage that? Which one do you really focus on? You know, that mortgage payoff versus retirement. And first of all, you know, it all depends on your specific situation, obviously. Uh, ideally, you want to have the mortgage paid off before retirement so that, you know, that being one of the biggest expenses uh, that most people have, it'll lower your ongoing costs during retirement significantly. Second of which, you know, a lot of times there's not going to be the same benefit in terms of deductibility of the interest rate uh, of your mortgage at retirement versus when you're still working and have you know, earned income. Just because you know, right now when you're working, um, uh, you may have certain things you're able to deduct, if not even your deductions exceed you know, whatever the allowable amounts are or, or the typical deduction uh, uh, amounts are each year. And when you're in retirement, you may not have as much deduction that you just take the standard deduction. And so you know, having, having a mortgage at retirement uh, may not necessarily be as advantageous from the standpoint of deducting that interest rate. But more importantly, it's also you know, a major uh, drag on your expenses and then also on your retirement assets uh, from having, having to live off of that. So ideally, you want to have the mortgage paid off by retirement. And if you have, say, 10 years left, you know, it's important to figure out you know, how much additional you need to pay each month 
you know, it may only be an extra hundred or so to be able to get it paid off by that point in time. And, you know, your mortgage company can certainly help you with that. Um, so that's, you know, that's an important uh, kind of a, a to-do list for pre-retirees, those preparing for retirement, if you haven't already thought of that, but hopefully you have. In fact, when either you took out your mortgage last or refinance, it's with that in mind, having it paid off by retirement. Uh, before we took break, I mentioned for this last segment, we're going to talk about uh, the concept or idea of debt arbitrage. Uh, it's the idea that people take out a loan and then invest it with the expectation that they're going to make more money investing versus the cost or interest rate on that loan. Uh, more and more, and you know, this has happened, you know, through many different types of cycles in the market and particularly in an up market when, you know, everybody seems to be making money uh, in the stock market, you know, people are trying to figure out, okay, where else can I have money so I can invest? And so they look to take out a loan and then invest. And it's, you know, it's a very slippery slope uh, because one, you, you, ha- you have to meet your bogey of what that interest rate is. So as an example, you know, if you take out you know, uh, $10,000 and it's costing you, say, 4% uh, for that loan, and typically because you took out the loan, unless it's like a home equity line, which I don't suggest or anything like that, uh, typically that loan is non-deductible, so it's a true 4% cost. Now then, you've got to make more than 4% uh, to, to even break even. Uh, and, you know, come out ahead. Now, over the long term, we certainly know, you know, that the market can do over 4%, but here you have to from the standpoint of, you know, uh, exceeding your carrying costs, so to speak. And a lot of investors, individual investors, you know, typically don't necessarily do as well as the market. Uh, even if the market averages say eight over a long period of time, in this case, you know, decades, uh, studies have shown that in- individual investors don't necessarily average eight percent. And so, the, the the idea, the concept of borrowing money and investing, very much has a lot to do with your skill and experience as an investor, but also it has to do with what you're able to, you know, to uh, uh, borrow at what rates. And so in general, and I mentioned this because we're talking about debt, if you're not able to, you know, meet your bogey and, and exceed your cost, it very much becomes a debt now that you have to service. Uh, especially, for example, if you borrow 10000 where you, where you're paying 4%, and knowing investing is very volatile, especially in the short term, and in a a certain period of time, that $10,000 is worth, say, 7000 Now you're in a situation in which you can't even pay off the debt or, you know, what you use to, to fund uh, that investment. So it very much becomes then a burden. Uh, and as well as the fact that you know, because it's worth less than what you initially put in and the balance on that loan, now you have to come up with another source to service that loan, knowing that that loan requires, I would argue for the most part, a monthly payment to service it. And so that's the other thing is that it's not just about exceeding whatever that you know, 
uh, interest rate is on the loan, you have to make the payments on it. And most people would probably be relying on that 10,000 generating the income to be able to pay off the monthly uh, payment on that, on that debt. So debt arbitrage is not something I recommend. Um, and it, it just confuses the issue of whether you're investing or whether you're borrowing and, you know, keep those two things separate and you'll do just fine. Now, one of the things I want to emphasize about debt, as much as, yes, it is a goal to be debt-free, to pay off debts, it's important to look beyond the debt, meaning to say that once you pay it all off, you know, and this is, this is a common occurrence, people are so focused on being debt-free, which you know, is, is a good thing. But you got to already be thinking beyond that because the day that you have your debts paid off, if you haven't focused on anything else or thought about anything else, this is where people get back into debt because they don't know what next. And so it's important to view paying off debt merely as a way to achieve your other goals, that it is just an obstacle. And so you should be, you know, saving for retirement. You should be, you know, saving for your kid's college. Uh, if you have kids, uh, minor age, uh, you know, you've got other plans to do as well. Focus on those. But you can't ignore the fact that you have debt. That's money being allotted to it that could be allotted elsewhere, uh, which is obviously the goal once you pay it off. And so think beyond the debt is, is uh, kind of my message here. And in every episode, uh, we try to do uh, what we call a product spotlight. Um, you know, things uh, related to, to the episode here uh, being all about debts. Uh, it's not a specific product uh, that I'm going to focus on today. It's multiple, but it's also a general concept, which we talked a little bit about uh, with the student loan, uh, where I want to talk about consolidators, loan consolidators. Uh, there are many out there. And you know, as I said before, uh, that you know, refinancing is good so long as you take advantage of it. Otherwise, it's going to take advantage of you. And that's the same view that I take on loan consolidators. And so, you know, there are different companies out there, you know, uh, whether it's you know, payoff.com, whether it's Prosper, uh, SoFi, which stands for social finance. Lending Club. These are all companies and particularly online where you can take out a loan to consolidate your other loans. Okay, say you've got three loans, uh, uh, one for 2000 another for 5000 another for 10000 And so you can consolidate it into one $17,000 loan with the assumption, obviously, that it's a lower interest rate hopefully than all three, if not on average, uh, and that it's a shorter period of time than what your other uh, loans are. So there are benefits to it, but once again, there are also pitfalls and you need to know what those are. And so, you know, the benefit is that one, it simplifies your finances, just like uh, uh, the snowball, where instead of, in this example, having three different bills and loans to pay, you're only paying one. But once again, you have to you know, pay attention to the criterias of, one, 
making sure that the term is the same, if not shorter than, than your other loans. And two, that you pay the same amount you've been paying to those three loans combined now into this one loan. So if you're paying, you know, say $100 to, those th- to, to the $2,000 loan and $300 to the $5,000 loan, uh, and you know, let's say uh, 400 to the 10,000, so that's 103 and four for a total of eight, you have to continue paying 800 into that one loan even though chances are, you know, the, the payment required on that $17,000 loan may only be 500, okay? So this is where you have to really take advantage of it. Otherwise, it will take advantage of you. Now, for our next episode next week, we're gonna t- be talking all about pensions and social security. I think it's a, a very important topic um, that you know, a lot of baby boomers, uh, uh, Gen Xers uh, are you know, very much uh, aware is part of their retirement plan. You know, the question is, when should you take your pension and Social Security? Which one should you tap into first? If you're under the age of 40, should you even count on Social Security in your retirement planning? And how does tapping into them affect your overall estate, and what your heirs and beneficiaries receive. These are all very important questions that I'm going to address, and I'll share specific strategies on when to take your pension and Social Security. And if you're listening and have been retired and are taking pension or Social Security or both, I'd love to hear your story of how you decided on when to take, start taking your pension and Social Security. You can email me at success at allaboutgoals.live. Again, that's success at allaboutgoals.live. Email me your success stories, how you came to that decision. I'll share them on the next episode, uh, which will be all about pensions and Social Security, and you can help inspire others in their goal of retirement. I hope this has been helpful in helping you with regards to your debt. Thank you for listening. To the All About Goals radio show. I'm your host, Tom White. Until our next episode next Wednesday at the same time, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America radio show. Happy achieving. Thank you for tuning in for this week's edition of All About Goals. Please join Tom White and another guest next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll help you achieve your financial goals one program at a time.